We're finishing off uh, our study, our preach through 2 Timothy. If you've got a Bible, you could turn there. We're in chapter 4, it's page 996 in the Church Bibles. As you're turning there, let me ask you a question. Um, have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt abandoned? One of my most um, scary experiences as a young boy was when I must have been maybe about six or seven and I was on a shopping trip with my mum and we went to Marks and Spencers and I got lost in the ladies underwear department <laughs> I couldn't as a small child and you're kind of about this tall and all the clothes are about that high you can't see a thing it's like being in a jungle but of clothes that you never will kind of want to be lost <laughs> amongst and I couldn't find my mum anywhere and thankfully one of the um, store attendants could see that I was I was worried and I was crying and tracked down my mum who's literally just like a few um, a few aisles over but I felt lost I felt like my mum had kind of left me and she'd forgotten about me and she'd kind of just gone away and, and I was totally abandoned on my own when we read the passage in a few moments we're going to see in some sense Paul felt the same the apostle Paul writes this letter to a young man called Timothy a few thousand years ago when Paul was planting churches not long after the resurrection of Jesus and Paul is reaching the end of his life and he feels abandoned he feels literally like he's been deserted by some of his friends but when I ask that question have you ever felt abandoned have you ever felt on your own there is a truth and a reality which I want us to know and understand this morning that if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ you will kind of have situations and circumstances in life where you will be you will be contending against against sin against evil against your situations in life and you will feel crushed at times but you will never ever be on your own you will never be on your own because the Lord Jesus Christ promises never to leave you if he is your Savior, if he is your Lord, there is nothing that this well can throw at you. There is nothing that your flesh will rise up. There is nothing that Satan can kind of scheme and, and concoct against you that will separate you from the Lord Jesus Christ. He will never leave you. And I hope you've picked that up in the songs that we've been singing so far this morning, that God is for us and he will never leave us. I hope we see that in this passage as we read it through. We're going to start in verse 9 of chapter 4. This is Paul speaking to Timothy, and this is what he says. Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At first, no one came to my first defense. No one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who uh, was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter which we have in front of us. We thank you for the Apostle Paul who has gone before us and for the various trials and struggles and situations that he has been in that have, that have sought to oppress him and, and push him and almost uh, as the enemy works against them, seek to divide him from you. But we thank you as we see in this letter that you never left him, that you were constantly with him, that you were by his side. In the darkest moments of life, he knew that you were present. And so, Lord Jesus, would we know that now by your spirit that you are present with your people this morning? Would we know your presence? Would we know uh, your voice as you speak to us through your word? Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to see truth this morning. Guide us towards truth. Assure us by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to see him as we work through this passage together. And we ask these things, Jesus, in your name and for your glory alone. Amen. We get to this end of this letter. And what you see throughout this letter, and you see especially in this chapter, is the Apostle Paul is desperately trying to encourage Timothy. So at the start of the letter, we saw that Timothy is, is kind of in a tricky situation. He's, he's been sent to, to lead a church in a place called Ephesus in Turkey. Paul sent him there, and, and he's a young man, and there's lots of kind of false uh, teachers around him who are, who are really pushing against the, the true, pure message of the gospel, and Timothy's struggling. So Paul writes this letter to him to encourage him, first of all, to encourage him in his identity, and then to encourage him in the mission and the ministry that he has been given. And what you see in this letter, and you see in many letters that Paul writes, he writes a lot of the, the kind of New Testament that we have. You see that Paul is, is just intent and, and so zealous and driven by the glory of God. Did you see that in verse 18? To him be the glory forever and ever. The very reason that Paul writes this letter isn't so that, so that Paul would kind of be, be put on a pedestal thousands of years later as we read this letter. Paul is constantly about the glory of God. The glory of God, the, the glory of God means, means his character being put on display. That's what glory is. God's pure, righteous, holy character. And, and, and Paul wants to have that on display. So he gives his life to it. Paul's method of, of um, um, putting God's glory on display is to plant churches. It's to sustain the churches that he plants. It's to build up the, the, the people within those, uh, within those churches so that, that God will display his glory to them and then he would display his glory through them. Paul is intent on doing this. He plants church after church. He goes on mission after mission. He literally gives his life to it. And he's willing to endure all things as he does it. Another letter that he writes uh, to a church in Corinth. Listen to this. This is how far Paul is willing to go to put God's glory on display. This is how far he's willing to go to, to bring people in, to bring unbelievers into the body. And listen to this. And none of us can, can match this. Hopefully none of us will have to match this. Is, this is what Paul's life looked like. He said he had far greater labors, far more imprisonments. He had countless beatings and often near death. 
Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and in thirst often without food in cold and exposure apart from other things there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches Paul had it hard folks so if we wake up any morning we think oh this Christian life is hard I'm kind of struggling with it's not hard compared to what Paul went through and you read elsewhere when he gets shipwrecked, he gets shipwrecked and he kind of finally reaches land and then a snake bites him. Imagine that kind of, you swum, swum to shore after being shipwrecked for the third time and then a snake bites you once you got onto the beach. Paul had it hard, but he was willing to endure all that because he was so zealous for the glory of God. I hope you've seen that as we've gone through this letter together. He is willing to endure hardship. Interesting few verses we read this. Paul is in prison as he writes this letter. Kind of a, a side note he puts in the letter. He says, bring, bring my cloak. That's really funny, isn't it? And I often think, what is, he, what is he talking about there? This is the word of God. Like every word in here needs to kind of have some relevance and meaning to us. But for me, it gives me a picture of this. Paul is cold. He's in jail and he is cold. And he hasn't got a suitcase full of kind of swanky coats that he can pull out. He has no coat. He's willing to lose everything. Live a life of less so that he can get the glory of God out of where it needs to be. He is zealous for the glory of God. He's zealous for the glory of God and he endures hardship. But he endures hardship knowing that the Lord is with him. Strengthening him at every step. That's verse 17. You see from those verses from... Uh, the letter to the Corinthians there, and you see in this passage here, he is zealous to kind of push out and get the glory of God on display. And when he does that, he meets opposition. He meets opposition. People push against them. What I want us to see this morning is that a life lived for Jesus is a life contending against evil, but knowing that Jesus never leaves us. There's a life contending against evil, knowing that Jesus never leaves us. Evil opposes God and it opposes his purposes. It opposes his purposes. Why? Because God is determined to push back darkness. God is determined to wipe evil off the face of this earth. Last week we saw in the verses before that there will be a last day when everyone who has been created will stand before Jesus and Jesus' church won't stand defeated. It won't. His church will continue to advance. His kingdom will continue to advance as it pushes back darkness and evil contends against it. So Paul encourages Timothy to push on, to fight, to run, to finish well, to contend against evil with the help of God. There are three areas in this passage where we see this, where we see Paul encouraging Timothy and encouraging us to contend against evil, to contend against sin. Three areas. The first one is this in verses 9 to 13. Paul encourages us to contend against the evil in this world. Let me read those verses again, 9 to 13. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. 
Paul has been deserted. He, he has a ministry for about 30 years. And this is the last kind of last breath that he kind of gives out in his ministry. And his friends have deserted him. It's only Luke that he says that is there in verse 11. Luke alone is with me. Many have been with him and many have deserted him. He mentions one in particular in verse 10, a man called Demas. He says Demas has deserted him because he has fallen in love with the world. Now for us, that's just a name. It could be anyone. Demas could be anyone. But you actually see him mentioned in a few letters before in Colossians chapter 4 and and Philemon chapter 1. Paul mentions um, Demas and he mentions Demas as a fellow worker. He mentions Demas as a friend, someone who was close to him. And now Demas in love with this present world has deserted me. How sad is that? He's had this brother, this friend working with him. And now the last breath he leaves him now we don't know what's gone on there we don't know why particularly Demas or what what he's seen that's made him him leave we know certainly from what he writes in Corinth that, that Paul lived a hard life didn't he but it was a fruitful life he saw many people come into the kingdom he saw many churches planted and Demas leaves Again, we don't know the specifics why, but we know that it is because Demas looks at the world and sees it as more attractive than a life lived for Jesus. And he follows the world instead of Jesus. How sad is that? He's engaged in ministry. He has seen the fruit of the gospel. But he sees as he looks out to the world something that is more attractive to him than a life in sacrifice to Jesus. And he leaves. And he goes. There's Demas. And then in verse 11, he says, Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. Again, it's just another name. We could kind of gloss over that quite often when you get to the last bits of Paul's letters. He just kind of reels off these names. I can't believe I managed to pronounce all of those without stumbling over them. That is the grace of God. But he kind of reels off these names and you can quickly glance over them and think that, well, it's just one of his friends or just a name. But, but Mark wasn't just another person. You read about Mark in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are going out on mission. They're going to, to Turkey. And, and, and Mark, he's called John Mark. You might kind of read him as John sometimes. This, this man, John Mark, is with Paul and Barnabas. And they're ready to set out um, on mission to Jerusalem. And then there's just one verse in Acts 13 which says, uh, uh, Mark returned to Jerusalem. And you kind of read on and you keep going on. <coughs> then you get to Acts chapter 15. And you have Paul and Barnabas again. They're kind of back in Jerusalem. They're ready to go on mission again. And, and Barnabas says to Paul, let's, let's bring John Mark with us. John Mark can come with us. And what you see in Acts 15, Acts 15, it's stunning. Please take some time and read it at home. It's a disagreement, a, a kind of robust disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas says, let's bring John Mark. And Paul says, not a chance. He's not coming with us because he deserted us. Wow. John Mark was there and they wanted him to come with them to, to Turkey. And all you read in Acts 13 is he goes back to Jerusalem. Paul makes it very clear in Acts 15 that at that point, Mark deserted them. And Paul doesn't want Mark anywhere near the mission at that point because he walked out on them when they needed him. Mark was a deserter. In Acts chapter 13, Mark falls in love with the world 
Paul and Barnabas want him to come with them to, to Turkey, but, but Mark sees something in the world, whether it's comfy, comfort, whether it's safety, whatever it is, he sees something which is more attractive to him in that moment that prevents him on going on the mission to Turkey. But look at him now. Who is it that Paul wants with him as he is dying? Who is it that Paul is desperate to have next to him? Mark. He wants him there. Paul wants him close, not because he he wants to kind of reconcile, but because he knows Mark is going to be useful for him in the ministry. Something has changed in Mark where he's not now seeing the world as more attractive, but he's seeing a life lived for Jesus as more attractive. Isn't that beautiful? We don't know what happens to Demas in the end, but we should take hope as we see Mark's life transformed. And we hope that he ended, Paul ended his life with Mark by his side. So how do we contend against evil in the world? Let me read these verses to you from, this is a letter uh, that Peter writes. And this is what he writes in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. How do we contend against evil in the world? Be sober-minded, folks. Open your eyes to the reality that we can't just cruise through this life. Open your eyes to the mind that, that the devil is at work to try and snatch you away, to try and distract you and pull your attention towards the world and away from Jesus. Be sober-minded, realize that. Open your eyes to that and be watchful. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Be watchful. <coughs> Wait for him to come because he will come. Have your eyes wide open. For when he comes, he will try and snatch you away. Listen to this quote from, uh, this is Thomas Brooks. You can tell I'm kind of reading one of his books at the moment because we're going to quote a week from Thomas Brooks. He is a Puritan who wrote um, just so beautifully about how we contend against Satan. This is what he says. Satan hath a greater influence upon men and higher advantages over them than they think he has. The knowledge of his high advantage is the highway to disappoint him and to render the soul strong in resisting and happy in conquering. So here's what he's saying. Satan is stronger than we think, folks. Do not, do not kind of diminish his influence. He is powerful. But knowing that he has that advantage, knowing that he is able to see where our weaknesses, weaknesses are is the way that we disappoint him when he comes. It's the way to render our soul strong in resisting him and a way that we are happy in conquering over the evil in the world. We see him coming, folks. You need to know that Satan has a strategy against us. He does. Don't just think he kind of turns up and just has a little guess about where your weak spot is or what it is in the world that that you love. He's seen you and he knows. Now, he's not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. He isn't God but he has a strategy to bring you down. So see him coming and strategize against him. Don't wait until he comes, folks. Take take the war to him. So let me just say this one as a specific kind of illustration. Men and women in the room, if you are struggling with lust, as an example, 
Do not wait until the enemy, do not wait until Satan comes and in that last moment try and come up with a, with a strategy to, to work against him. Strategize against him before he turns up. See him coming. Be watchful, be sober-minded. Work out ways to, to prevent yourself from being in situations where you will be prone to lust. Confess of your sin. Share of your weakness with a brother or sister in Christ so you can walk this war against him together. If he has a strategy against us, we strategize against him. Because we have a greater power in the Lord Jesus Christ to resist him. Firm in our faith. Contend against evil in the world. Secondly, contend against the evil in others. Look at verse 14 and 16. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself. For he is strongly opposed to our message. At first, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Paul throws out another name here, Alexander the coppersmith. Again, we don't know much about him, but we know enough about him that he was someone who worked against Paul. Someone who says here did him great harm. You read about him actually in, in uh, Paul's first letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And what Paul says there is that he has done him such a harm that he has handed him over to Satan. That's how divisive Alexander the coppersmith was. That's how kind of evil and wicked the work against Paul was that Paul says, I have handed him over to Satan. And he says here in verse 14, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. He's that concerned about him. He says to Timothy, Timothy, beware of him. Watch out for him. He's not going to be good for you. We see here in these verses that a life lived for Jesus is a life contending against the evil in others. It is. If we are proclaiming the message of the gospel, we will receive opposition. Paul says here in verse 15, often that opposition will be strong. We will be strongly opposed as we herald the good news of the gospel. And it is coming. It is coming. If we don't feel it already, the more we kind of step into the areas that God has for us around Lark Lane, the more we will feel that opposition. It is coming. We will have to contend against the evil in others. And so how do we handle that when it comes? How do we handle that when we have people like Alexander the coppersmith who are trying to divide us, who are trying to, to, to dilute the gospel, who are trying to kind of bring down the work that God has given us? How do we handle that? How do we respond that? What you see in this passage here is we respond with grace. We respond with grace. What is it that Paul says about Alexander the coppersmith? What does he say about those that have deserted him? Verse 16, may it not be charged against them. Paul is sitting in a prison cell on his own. People have deserted him. People who were his friends, his fellow workers, they have deserted him. And what does he say as he is heading towards certain execution? God, let, let it not be charged against them. You don't see Paul organizing rallies against them. You don't see him kind of investing all his time in Timothy to try and convince him that these people are, are, are wicked and to try and campaign against them. You don't see him laboring a defense. You just you see Paul consumed with a zeal for the glory of the Lord, his eyes fixed on the mission. And yes, he hands them over to God, but he deals with them graciously. Those who have deserted him are wicked people. They should have been at his side and they have fallen in love with the world. 
They should have been there. But pride has overcome them, fear has overcome them, selfishness has overcome them, and, and, and they've deserted Paul. You know what, if that was me, and I would guess if that was most of us, I'd be, I'd be tracking these people down. I'd be writing them a letter, I'd be calling them out, I'd be on Twitter kind of name-shaming them, saying these people are meant to be my friends, and, and they've left me. And if I wasn't bold enough to do that, do you know what I would be? I would be filled with bitterness against them. You, you call yourself a friend? And you're not even here when I need you most. But Paul's response in verse 16 is mercy. Isn't that stunning? He has a desire for mercy. Let me ask you this morning, who has wronged you? Who has committed evil and and wickedness against you? Who are you harboring bitterness against? Would you be gracious enough to pray to God that he would not hold that against them and you wouldn't either? Would you be gracious enough to let that bitterness, unforgiveness, to let it go? Because if you're a believer this morning, if you don't, I can assure you it will distract you from your goal, which is the glory of God. Maybe just stop and just pray for a moment, just a moment of quiet. And if there are people in our lives where we are harboring bitterness and unforgiveness against, this is a moment to confess, to repent, and to ask for the grace of God to help us in our weakness. Let's just bow our heads just for a moment. Jesus, help us. We're weak. We're prone towards anger and bitterness so often when we're wronged. So help us by your spirit. Help us to say with with full sincerity and genuineness that we do not hold anything against these people. Fill us with peace. Fill us with forgiveness. For your glory's sake. Amen. We contend against evil in the world, in others, and finally we contend against evil within ourselves. Verse 17, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says that he has been rescued. He was rescued from the lion's mouth and he knows that he will be rescued from every evil deed and he will be brought safely into the heavenly kingdom. What is he being rescued from here? What is the evil that he is being rescued from? So, so we know that it is, not, it is not death because history will tell us not long after he finishes writing this letter, Emperor Nero takes Paul and has him beheaded. So he wasn't rescued from death. It's not like Paul is still walking around here and he's, he's kind of been rescued from, from that. No, no, he died probably weeks after he wrote this letter. 
Is he rescued from Rome who are holding him? He says, he says the lion, doesn't he? And often that's kind of um, synonymous with Rome. I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Has he been rescued from Rome? Well, where's he writing from? Prison in Rome. So there's a sense in which you know he hasn't been rescued from Rome. Paul is saying he's been rescued from every evil deed. Now we've seen that people are working evil against him. He's been rescued from that in a sense, but also he talks about being brought safely into the heavenly kingdom because he has been rescued from every evil deed. So yes, he's been rescued from the evil and wickedness that has been been concocted against him, but also he's been rescued against his own evil and wickedness. His own sin. Because the reality is for Paul, unless God rescues him from his own sin, he can contend against the world all that he wants. He can contend against others all that he wants. He can pursue the glory of God all that he wants. But, but, but that will be of no good for him unless he is rescued from his sin. That will be a weight that will hang around his neck that will prevent him from being brought safely into God's heavenly kingdom. The evil in the world, the evil against other people, he may be able to do something against that, but the evil in himself, he has no hope of trying to fix that. So how do we do that? How do we contend against the evil within ourselves? Well, if you're an unbeliever here this morning, I need to tell you that you have no hope of doing that on your own. You have no hope of contending against sin, against evil, against wickedness in yourself, of which all of us contend against. Paul writes a letter to the church in Ephesus, and this is what he says. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. Do you know how much a dead body can help itself? No, you don't, because it can't. A dead body can't do anything to help itself. That's the point that Paul is making. That sin, that our trespasses, that our unrighteousness against God places us into a spiritual situation where we are dead and we are without hope. We cannot help ourselves in contending against evil and wickedness. We are dead because of our sin. For a few verses further down, that same passage in the letter to The church in Ephesus, Paul says this, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The reality for us is every single one of us at one point in our lives was spiritually dead with no hope, unable to help ourselves to contend against sin. But God... But God, in his grace and his mercy, extended his hand towards you. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, extended his hand towards you because he is rich in mercy. And by grace, he saved you. And that wasn't by your own doing. That wasn't by your own righteousness. It wasn't by your own work. Grace means a gift from God. That was something given to you. A precious gift given to you, saving you from your sin, saving you from the evil within you, which will stop you from being brought safely into his heavenly kingdom. Unless you are able to deal with the sin within yourself, you will be cut off for God, from God for all eternity. But God, because he is rich in love, has made a way through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, to bring you safely into his heavenly kingdom. By his grace, by a free gift that comes to you, 
if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, you need to know that there are many ways that you can contend against evil. But the specific one that we see in this passage this morning is in verse 17. We contend against evil knowing that Jesus never leaves us. Knowing that Jesus never leaves us. Three quick ways that Paul shows us that that Jesus is with us in these verses. Verse 13, you see that he is with us by his word. I love love just this kind of another kind of throwaway verse when Paul says, um, uh, bring bring the cloak that I left with Carpus and Troas and also the books and above all the parchments. Paul, Paul was a reader. He loved to read around. And in his last moments, literally his last kind of hours, weeks, whatever it is, He's desperate to have his books back. That would be me. I don't want to leave here without my books, but I will. And I know I will, but that would be a hard moment. Um, but Paul was the same. He wanted his books. He wanted, he wanted the parchments. And we know that within those things would have been the word of God. Would have been the truths of God in his last moments. What does he want by his side? He wants Mark. He wants people. He wants the word of God with him. He wants the parchments. He wants the books. Why? So he can remind himself of who Jesus is. So he can remind himself of all the good that God has done in his life. Ephesians chapter 6, the end of the letter that he writes to the church in Ephesus. Paul talks about putting on the armor of God. And what does he say? What does he say we need to wield? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That is how we contend against the evil in ourselves, by having the word of God with us. I've had two conversations this week with a couple of you in this room. And and you're kind of going through life and the struggle and this kind of contention against sin. And without me even saying anything, you said to me, and I know what it is. I know what I need to do. I need to get back into God's word. We contend against evil in ourselves, knowing that Jesus never leaves us and he is with us by his word. If we are struggling against sin, I encourage you to get back in the word of God. Secondly, we see that Jesus never leaves us because he is with us by his people. This list of people, we see a list of people that have deserted him, but then verse 19, greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth and I left, I left Trophimus who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. Why does Paul kind of give us this list of people at the end of almost all his letters? I'm convinced that he does this to remind us that we don't do this alone. Timothy, you're not alone in this. Don't be a lone ranger. We contend against evil in ourselves, knowing that Jesus never leaves us because he he has us with his people. He is here as he brings us into his people. Folks, we need community. We cannot live this life without community. We cannot do this alone. And this is why, and all the more I'm going to do it, we will bang the drum of our gospel community. I'm desperate for all of us to be a gospel community every Wednesday evening, not just in the evening there for food and after, and not even just Wednesdays, but through the week. To live in community with one another. To live together. And here's why. I wonder whether you've ever seen um, kind of those planet Earth um, or or, kind of nature documentaries, and you see the kind of lion stalking through the grass. And he's kind of there and, and you know what's going to happen. And there's kind of a group of wildebeest or animals and the lion's kind of looking around. And this is 1 Peter 5 stuff that we read before, right? So, so Satan is prowling around like a, like a roaring lion ready to devour. And you see this kind of, and David Attenborough is in the back kind of setting the scene. And then the, the, the lion goes for it. And which one does a lion go for? Not the one who's in the center of the pack, the one who's at the outside, who's straggling behind. And it devours him. 
And Elihu is seeking him out, looking for the ones who are on the edge, looking for the weak ones who are outside of the, the community of the, the wildebeest or whatever it is. And folks, Satan does exactly the same thing. So this is why we will constantly bang the drum of being in community because one, we were not designed to be on our own. Two, pulling yourself out of community and not engaging in the community of God's people will put you vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. And so if I ever come to you or one of, one of your brothers and sisters ever comes to you and says, we'd love to have you more gospel community. That isn't because they want just numbers there. That is because they love you. They are watching out for you. And because the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion ready to devour you. And you are vulnerable. God helps us contend against the evil in ourselves by putting us amongst his people. Let us not be so proud to think that we can do this alone because we can't. If the Apostle Paul needs his friends next to him, we need our friends and our brothers and sisters next to us. And finally, we contend against the evil in ourselves, knowing that Jesus never leaves us because he is with us by his spirit. Verse 22, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Grace be with you. The Lord be with your spirit. How is the Lord with Timothy? He's with him by his spirit. God is with Timothy in this moment of weakness, in this moment of frustration and struggle. God is with Timothy by his spirit. And that is the grace of God. Paul Paul asks that the grace of God be with him and the grace of God is with him as God is with him by his spirit. Just step back and think about that for a moment. God is with Timothy and and by, by implication with every single believer in this room, God by his Holy Spirit is with you. Let me read this, Psalm 139 verse one. Oh Lord, you have set me and known me. Okay, so just, just hear that and then hear that God is with you. God has searched you and known you. Right now as you're sitting there this morning, there are thoughts going through your mind that you do not want anyone else in this room to know. There are things that you've done in your past that you do not want anyone in this room to know. God, you have set me and you have known me. And if you're a believer, God is still with you. He has searched you and he knows the depths of your heart, the wickedness, the sin, the evil, all of the inclinations away from him. He knows every single one and he is near you. And he is with you. And this is a God who is holy. This is a God who is righteous. This is a God who is perfect. This is a God who detests sin. And yet we sang this morning that he delights in his people. God is with you and he will never leave you. Think about who's even saying that. The Apostle Paul is able to say, he he says to to Timothy, the Lord be with your spirit. And he also says in verse 17 that the Lord stood by him and strengthened me. The Apostle Paul, do you know what the Lord finds when he searches Paul's life? He sees someone who persecuted Christians. He sees someone who, who has weakness in his flesh. He sees someone who lived a life. He sees someone literally with blood on his hands. But by the power of the cross, God has washed that blood away. By spilling the precious blood of his own son. 
Paul the Apostle is not the, the kind of saint that we might put him up to be. He has lived a horrific life before he turned to Christ. And yet he is still able to say, the Lord stood by me. The Lord was present. The Lord never left him. So if you're discouraged this morning, if you are struggling and contending against evil within yourself, know this, God will never leave you. He will never leave you. Let me read you this precious letter. Uh, Ruthie's got into a, a little habit of leaving little letters by her door when she goes to bed. It's the sweetest thing in the world. And uh, she wrote one to Elizabeth and I this week. And I'll read it out to you. She says this. Um, to mommy and daddy, here's a note for you. I love you very much. You make me laugh and make me happy. You are the best people ever in the whole world. You are very gentle and kind. I love your smile and your face and I love you so much. I would never, 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 <laughs> never leave you. You are the best man and the best lady ever in the world. Mummy, you are a good baker and daddy, you are a good builder. Love you both. I would never... Never, 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 never leave you. One day she will. <laughs> Whether she kind of gets married or moves out of the home, one day she will leave me. The reality is, two things about that letter. She must have been in a good mood. <laughs> We're definitely not the nicest people in the world a lot of the times. But the other thing is, every day we encourage her towards kind of good living and, and doing the right thing and obedience and every day she leaves us and she chases after the things of this world and she chases after the, her flesh which says that this is better and she listens to the voice of the enemy who says no, no go this way every day she leaves us God will never, 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 never leave us he will never leave our side he will never wander off, even if we do. So what does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 18? It, even if one goes out, if I have 99 sheep and one goes away, I'm not going to leave that sheep on its own. I will leave the 99 and I will go and bring it back. In Psalm 119, further down, verse 7, David says this, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Even if we wander away, he will treat us like the one of the 99 and bring us back. Even if we try and hide, he will bring us back. We cannot flee from God. He is all ways with us and we might be sitting there this morning thinking yeah yeah but you don't know my life you don't know the sin that I'm contending with you don't know the evil and the wickedness in my heart Romans chapter 8 I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord he will never leave you there is no sin big enough that will force God, if you love him, to leave you. And we may wonder, we are prone to wonder. We may even try and hide. We might try and run away. We might listen to the deceptions of the enemy which says, no, 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 not that sin. No, we can't deal with that sin. He's going to hate you for that sin. That is a lie. The love of God in Christ Jesus will never separate us from God. 
We contend against the evil in ourselves by his word, by his people, by his spirit, knowing that God is with us and will never leave us. That in itself is a remedy not to want to sin, isn't it? Knowing that God is with us and there is nothing that we can do that can push him away. These are the last words that we hear of Paul, the last words that are written down. We don't know how kind of things end for Timothy either kind of in here, but history does tell us. History tells us that uh, Timothy uh, kind of engaged in, in Ephesus, carried on leading the church in Ephesus, that he served there faithfully, that he contended against evil uh, from the world, evil in others, evil within himself. He stays and he serves faithfully the church in Ephesus until his death. In fact, history tells us that Timothy's last act was, was to defend the gospel as an angry mob of, of worshippers of the goddess Artemis came and clubbed him to death. That's how Timothy ends his life. That's how timid Timothy ends his life. That's how Timothy, who was weak in the flesh, ends his life. That's how Timothy, who needed so much to be strengthened by the grace of God, ends his life. That's how Timothy, who was getting pulled in all directions by the world, by his flesh, by those around him, by Satan himself. That is how he ends his life. Being battered to death by people because he is proclaiming the gospel. Why? Because he is so zealous for the glory of God. He is strengthened by grace. He fought the good fight. He ran the race and he finished well with Jesus by his side. Would God do the same for us, brothers and sisters? Would we be strengthened by his grace? Would we fight the good fight? Would we run the race? Would we finish well? Contending against evil from the world, from others within ourselves, knowing Jesus will never leave us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for we thank you for the truth that through the the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of your Son Jesus Christ, that we are not separated from you. You are not separated from us, that you have, you have given us your spirit and your spirit dwells amongst us. And so you are near. Jesus, we thank you that that is possible because of everything that you have done. We thank you that even now in our weakness, as we kind of remind ourselves of the ways that we have sinned and walked in unrighteousness as we share this meal, even now you are strengthening us, enabling us to walk away from those sins and walk towards righteousness. Holy Spirit, we thank you for, for this word. We thank you for speaking to us through it. We pray that you would convince us that, that we are people who are called into a mission for the glory of God. Give us that seal. Give us that passion to reach the lost like, like Jesus did, like Paul did, like Timothy did. Strengthen us by the grace that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ to be people who would fight the good fight, who would run the race, who would keep the faith, who would finish well for the glory of God. Help us to keep Jesus as our focus and our vision. Help us to love one another as we seek to, to engage against the world, against 
against Satan, against even ourselves at times. Help us to recognize the precious gifts of, of the word, of the community of God's people and of you, Holy Spirit, who, who abides in us. So help us, we pray, for the glory of the Son. Amen. As we share this meal, this is a meal for, for the family of God. This is for those of us who are brothers and sisters in Christ, who are able to say that Jesus has dealt with our sin, that he has paid the cost, he has paid the price for us to, to have forgiveness for our sins. As we share this meal, what we'll do, just come to the front and share it as we do. Take the bread, take the wine, take the juice. As we do, I just want to uh, read a few verses to us. And as we take this meal, know the nearness of God. Spend some time in confession and repentance of your sin. Be real with yourself. Know that you are a sinner, but know that God is near. And he will help you, and he will guide you, and he will lead you for his glory. Let me read these verses. Psalm 16, verse 8. I set the Lord continually before me, because he is at my right hand, and I will not be shaken. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Matthew 28, verse 20. I am with you always to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, verse 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this meal. We thank you for your body which was broken. Thank you for your blood that was shed. And we thank you that you did that to enable us to, to be forgiven of our sin. Thank you, Jesus, that as you walked to the cross, you walked to the cross as someone who was wholly perfect, without sin, like a lamb without blemish. You, you were led towards the slaughter. We thank you that as you hung on the cross, you took on our sin and you clothed us in your righteousness. So even now as we confess and we repent of our sin, we know that you do not hold that against us. You have already forgiven us of our sin. You've already clothed us in your pure, righteous clothes. And you've given us the gift of your spirit to affirm to us, to declare to us, to remind us that this world is not the end, that we have a future inheritance, an eternity with you, where we will not have to contend against evil and wickedness anymore, where we will live in perfect peace and harmony with you and with each other. And so, Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken so that we could be brought into the family of God. We thank you for your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Help us now by your Spirit to confess, to repent, to celebrate the gospel, to care for one another if we need to pray with each other. And help us to do that for your glory, for your name's sake.